Welcome to the Living Ageless and Bold podcast. I'm your host, Christina Daves, and in each episode, I bring you amazing women who inspire, educate, and share their experiences and journeys along the way. So grab a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, find a cozy spot, and let's relax and have some fun hearing what can be accomplished after 55. We are in for such a treat today. You're going to recognize this name, Jean Chatsky. She is the CEO and co-founder of HerMoney.com. She has a podcast by the same name. She is the co-host of a national radio show called Everyday Wealth. You saw her on the Today Show for at least the past 25 years. She's a New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestselling author. And lucky for us, she's with us today to talk all things finances. So welcome, Jean. Thanks for having me. We're in graduation time right now. And my girlfriends and I laugh so hard because I have a 25-year-old and a 23-year-old. My 25-year-old works on Wall Street and he's still on the family phone plan because, mom, it's so much cheaper. So I want to talk to you. When do we rip the Band-Aid off with our adult children? Well, I think we have to separate the Band-Aid and the phone plan, quite frankly. I mean, I've had this I've had this discussion a lot. And I think the phone plan is like the last thing to go. I'm not exactly sure why that is, but I can tell you that my 28-year-old is still on the phone plan. Oh. <laughs> I, you know, one day will I push him off? I guess one day I'll push him off. I don't know. I feel like that and the rest of financial independence, we can approach a little bit separately. But I think we rip off the Band-Aid as our children are able to handle adult life from their perspective and from our perspective, right? And in part, parents who step up to support their children after graduation are doing so because life is just so much more expensive than it used to be, right? When we look at renting an apartment, unless you want them to move home, when we look at paying off student loans, if they have student loans, and the fact that although we've seen some increases in salaries over the past couple of years, there was a good decade and a half where we really had stagnant wages and they haven't really caught up completely. So I think that the big question is, what is reasonable? For your child based on what they're earning and what you can afford while still making sure that you're prioritizing your own important goals like retirement, because if you don't do that, then you're creating a cycle where they're going to have to step in and take care of you down the road. And are they managing the money that they are earning correctly? And if they're not, if they're being wasteful or if they're not being conscious about where their money's going, if you think they're making bad choices, then we pull it, pull in the support a bit to get them to focus on how to do it properly. And how do you recommend starting that foundation? So we have our high school graduates too, and that's kind of when you're first sending them off to, you know, we, what we did with our kids is we gave them a thousand dollars a month and said, okay, but now you have to take that, you have to pay your rent, you have to pay your electricity, you have to pay your groceries, and if there's anything left, you can have that. So how do we start with them as they're quasi-adulting while we're still you know, looking over them? 
I mean, I think the way that you did it is a very nice method, but I guarantee you did something before they left your house to prepare them for that because many kids are not able to budget for a whole month by the time they go off to college. They need training wheels in order to do that. And I think we give training wheels with an allowance. We step them up to that monthly college budget while they're in high school, while they're in junior high, by putting smaller amounts of money in their hands throughout their lives and making them use that money for things that we are no longer willing to buy. So in middle school, that might just be snacks after school with their friends. It could be you know, the occasional manicure, if you've got a child in the house that's into that, it could be video games. I think it's important that we don't give them enough to afford everything they want, both because they have to learn that money's limited and it's very important that our kids work. They don't get the value of a dollar until it's a dollar that has been earned with an hour of their time. It just, I've seen it again and again, the light bulb just goes off and they start to realize, oh, they're, they're very happy to spend your money. But when it's their money, then they are, even if it's, even if it's money you've given them as an allowance, it's not the same as money that they've earned while working. And then by the time they get to college, you have to assess how much time they're able to budget for. My deal with my kids, and there were many parts to it, but was whatever they earned during summer was in part to cover their expenses during the school year of college. And my daughter didn't really trust herself to have all that money in her account. So she gave it to me and I gave it back to her on a weekly basis. We just divided and automatically some money would drop into her account each week and that helped her. And then when your kids graduate, it's a new and different process, right? They've got an income, we hope, for the first time and you have to take into account what it costs them to live and what that income looks like and get them to set up a budget that works for them. So my son, who's 28, who's still on the family phone plan, When he graduated from college, he moved to California, which was where his job was. And he said, can I make a budget? And I was like, oh, be still my heart. That's amazing. Yay, we can make a budget. But before we did that, I had him track his spending. And I have done, I've done a lot of money makeovers over my career. And what I've learned is that you can't budget in a forward direction. You actually have to look backward. And so I had him track his spending to see where his money was actually going. And then you can make changes about where you want that money to go in order to achieve your goals. So with Jake, we, he tracked his spending and then we, for a month, then we sat down and we had a couple of goals. We wanted to find some savings, right? To fund a Roth IRA, but we also wanted to make sure he had enough to live and do the things that he wanted to do. And I'll remember he said, I need $250 a month for Uber. And I said, you have a car. And he said, yeah, but when we go out on the weekends, we drink and we don't drive. 
And I said, you need $250 a month for Uber. And so we found it, but we found it by moving other resources around. And that is basically the methodology that we built our finance fix coaching program on. We, we have an eight week coaching program called Finance Fix that we've been delivering at Her Money since the beginning of the pandemic. We run it monthly for about 20 people at a time, 20 women at a time, sometimes couples. And we put this them through this process with a coach and using technology so they don't have to track their money by hand. But it it works. People free up cash because it puts them back in the driver's seat of where their money is going. Otherwise, money just moves too quickly these days. It's all swipes and dips. and We don't feel it anymore. We're, we touch cash. Yeah. It's just what a great graduation gift to give somebody is your program. We've got a, a class that we're filling with younger people. So recent grads, absolutely sign them up. Yeah. I saw you on Kelly and Ryan, and I actually shared this with all of my friends because my daughter graduated last May and, you know, and she and all of her roommates are making the proverbial $52,000, which you said, you know, is the average starting salary. And you talked about, and I'd love for you to share it with our audience too, kind of how they should structure things with that amount of money, how they can figure out, because we did this with our daughter, you know, how much rent can she afford, her car payment, insurance, you know, putting it all together for the first time, really. Yeah, it's hard. And there are some guidelines. And then those guidelines get thrown a little out of whack based on where you live. But you want to work with take-home pay. So after-tax earnings, about 30 to 35% is usually enough to cover housing. Sometimes it's more in a big city and you might have to live with more roommates in order to make that work. 12.5% for transportation, 15% for savings, 12.5% for other debt repayments. So that's your student loans if you have them, and 25% for life. And my rule is basically you can borrow from any category to feed any other category except for that 15% savings number. We really want you to start to hit it as soon as possible after graduation. If you're getting matching dollars from a 401k, if you're fortunate enough to work for a company that offers you a retirement plan. You should be in it, of course, but whatever matching dollars that you get can count toward that 15%. And really explaining that to younger people. So my husband was the one that got out of college, did just what you said. He started his accounts. He knew he was going to have two kids. He set aside two. I was the gal. I did buy a house at 23 when my grandmother passed away and left me $3,000. And I did invest that, but I was not as savvy with my money as he was. And when we finally got married, it was like, wow, we have this for these two kids that we don't even have yet. It was, it's amazing how quickly that compounds when you do it at a younger age. Yeah. And then you want to make sure that they're not just hocking it away, but that they're actually investing it. A lot of 401k and other retirement plans will do that for you if you don't elect a particular fund to put your money in, they'll put it into a target date retirement fund, which is fine. But you want to make sure that you're putting the money to work. And you say that I happen to be like on the app because that's where we work our money. My kids, I was the co-signer on their accounts, you know, before they were 18. So they're still, it's still the same accounts that they had. And I popped in, I don't really use that bank account much. And my daughter has a significant amount of money in there. And I, which A, I was very happy, but B, it's like, don't keep it in your 
bank checking account, like let's open even a 4% savings account that's available right now. So what, how much money should they have in their checking account? You know, how many months, you know, just in case, and then what, when should they start investing? It depends what the money in the checking account is for. If it is, if it's for buying that first house, right? If it's for a particular goal, then you take that into consideration. If it's your basic emergency cushion, three to six months worth of living expenses, which is not the same as what you spend over three to six months. It's what you'd have to spend in order to survive if you are on an austerity plan. So your rent, your transportation, what you need to spend, everything else can be invested. And she should be putting that money into, I don't know if she has a plan at work, but if she doesn't, a Roth IRA. And we are lucky that she has an older brother who's in that world. So we're, she might not want to listen to mom and dad. She'll definitely listen to him with, hey, you should look into... And he just talked to her, I think, about a Roth IRA. So that's good to know. Yeah. Okay. Another question that we're all kind of approaching now, we've got these kids who have significant others, not married yet, and we're all going on vacation. So we have another family... I'll use our family as an example. We vacation with them for 17 years. All four kids now, two from each family, have the significant others. We're all going to the beach together. Who pays for what? You mean as far as the significant others are concerned? Well, and the kid, like, so we've, of course, have paid for the house. But then, you know, my girlfriend's like, well, the kids should be paying, you know, if, if we go out to dinner and this and that. And I, I grew up with nothing. I paid my way through school. Back then, you could work for a summer and make enough money to pay your way through school. So I'm ultra sensitive to it. Like, no, I just want to give them because we can, but probably not the smartest. But I don't know. I would love your advice. Here's what I would do. And my kids are similar. They both have significant others. My, I have two stepkids as well. They, one is married. One has a significant other. I wouldn't necessarily say you have to pay for dinner, but I would say, you're in charge of dinner one night for each couple. Let one cut, let each couple be in charge of dinner one night or each of your four kids and their significant others. They can take everybody out if they don't want to cook. They can cook if they want to cook, but they have to plan it and they have to pay for it. And that's kind of where the direction we were going, but they're funny based on salary levels. It's like, well, these two are going to team up together and do one night. And then this one might have to do two nights. So. I, and I think that's okay too. And I imagine just based on the tenor of this conversation that your kids also are stepping up to pay for things, you know, that they're, that they're picking, they're running to the grocery store or to, and they're not asking to be reimbursed. And I think it's up to you whether you want to pay for their transportation to the beach or not. I mean, that's an easy one to sort of lay off on them. Right. Which we did. And we actually have a wedding in Puerto Rico, a girl that our kids grew up with and they're paying their way there. And then you're paying for the hotel and everything when we get there. The wedding expenses are out of control. I mean, not for, I mean, I, we haven't had a, a wedding yet that we've paid for, but we, I'm watching my kids go to weddings and bachelorette parties and bachelor parties and it's crazy. It's just, I'm supplementing a lot with frequent flyer miles because I'm fortunate enough to have them. I was talking to my girlfriend's daughter, who's, she's probably 28, 29 in that wedding circuit. 
And she was saying every wedding she's in is a minimum of $1,500. And that's just the bachelorette party and the dress. And then you have the hair and makeup and that's optional, but you can't really say no if everyone else is doing it. And I'm like, and you're, if you're in five weddings in a year and you're talking about budgeting, where does that, I guess that's that extra category. Yeah. Or it's what can I cut out so that I can make this work? What can't, what am I not going to be able to do because I'm doing these things? Or they realize after they go to a couple weddings that where the friends were not especially close that they can say no. Yeah. Cause we didn't have expenses like that. What's the number one tip for parents of college graduates? What, what's the one thing we can do to really position our kids for success, money, success, financial success? It, get them saving immediately and have a real heart to heart about credit cards and debt. It's so easy for them to get a credit card these days as soon as they have an income. And the credit card companies don't set the limits based on how much or how little you could really afford to pay. They, they give you a higher limit. And so make sure that you have a discussion with your kids about how to safely use a credit card in order to build to build credit. And I think being conscious of where their money is going is just a good lifelong habit to get into. There's no rocket science to this. You know, it's just good habits often repeated. Great advice. And one thing I'll share with our listeners that just happened to us recently is our kids had one of our credit cards in college, which was basically for emergency, and we never turned them off. And now they're working and starting to pay attention to their credit scores. Well, I had made a big purchase on the credit card and they got dinged on their credit because they're on our credit cards. Yeah, their utilization ratio got out of whack. So it's a very nice thing to do for your children, if, especially if you've got good credit, if you pay your credit cards off regularly, adding a child to a card as an authorized user while they're in college, provided you know you give them some guardrails, is a good thing to do for their credit. But, but yeah, it, you've got to understand that if you if you if your own credit takes a blow, it's going to impact them as well. Right. Yeah. Which we did not know. We just found that out. So when I look through all of your stuff, you have a great five-step philosophy. So can we go through that? We can. We've talked about a couple of the steps already. You have to earn a decent living and decent, right? You have to earn enough in order to support yourself in a comfortable lifestyle. There's been a lot of research on money and happiness and the connection between money and happiness. And what we know is that as long as you're not really struggling, as long as you're able to live comfortably, which includes being able to go out to eat, go on vacation once in a while, beyond that, more money is not going to make you significantly more happy. So, it, you know, there is a point of enough as far as happiness is concerned. So you earn a decent living, then you have to spend less than you make always. And try to put away that 15%. You've got to invest the money that you are not spending so that it can work as hard for you as you're working for yourself. That's the third item on the list. You have to protect this financial life that you're building with both the right insurance and a basic estate plan. 
And in in terms of our kids, what this means is renter's insurance. While they're single, it means they should sign up for the disability policy at work if they're offered one, because we have a higher likelihood of becoming disabled than of dying. They don't need life insurance typically until they have dependents until they're married with children or until they have children and protect. So you protect this world of yours and then you figure out some way to give back that is meaningful to you because that actually does boost happiness. What's really important with that too is I do a lot at my alma mater and a lot of it is my time because I, you know, we do give money, but not to the level that some people can give, but I can make a difference in my time. I tell my kids that too, go back. Go, you know, to the, when they have business horizons and talk to students and offer to, you know, you're a couple of years out, offer to look at a resume, offer to put a resume in for somebody, you know, just anything you can do. It doesn't have to necessarily be financial. Correct. Correct. Oh, that's great. And then for us as parents, as we're launching our kids and now we don't have these college expenses and feeding two athletes. <laughs> What's one big tip for us to enjoy this next phase of our lives? Realize that this next phase is going to last a lot longer than you probably thought. And I'm just talking, and particularly for women, I'm talking about longevity. Retirement is 30 years, 40 years these days. And that means making sure that you are doing enough to to provide yourself with a, a long retirement runway. I think around 50 is a really good time to have a checkup with a financial advisor. Just sit down, make sure that you're saving enough because by not having two kids that you're feeding and clothing and educating anymore, you've essentially just gotten a really big raise. And the question for you is, what do you want to do with that really big raise? If you've been under saving for retirement because your expenses, typically our expenses go up and up during our child rearing years. And then the curve flips, it starts to go down until we hit our mid seventies, early eighties. And then we start spending more again because of the cost of healthcare. But this, these are the years where we make big choices, where we decide time to buy a second house. It's time to go on a second vacation a year. It's time to do all of these things that we've been putting off before, before you do that, make sure that your financial plan is really buttoned up. And we're finding here on this podcast, so many women are starting another business, starting another chapter. Maybe they had 30 years in corporate or they were a stay-at-home mom. And then it's, but now we're young, we're healthy. Hopefully we do have know, some money socked away so so we can take on these possible, and a lot of it's entrepreneurship at this point, because most big companies aren't going to hire a 56-year-old woman coming in. <laughs> Here's my resume. But it's an exciting time for us to have these opportunities ahead of us. It's fantastic. And it's also a lot more flexible when it's your own thing as you start to transition into, some people don't even want to call it retirement into your into your next phase. Jean, I just I was just I just heard this from a friend of mine. They're calling it repriorment, like because you're reprioritizing. I was like, oh, I love that. I'm gonna steal that. I've heard that. I've heard rewirement. I've heard your next. What's your next? 
whether you're earning or not, you've got a plan for how and when to take Social Security because that's a big bundle of money and a lot of people leave hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table because they take it too soon. You have to make sure that you have a plan for taking the assets in your retirement accounts and getting them out. And I know that sounds like, well, I'll just get them out, but it's actually really complicated because of taxes and because of wanting to make sure that you're pulling the right money from the right place in the right order in order to make it last as long as you do. And if you, some people are fortunate enough still to have a traditional pension, a paycheck, but one decision that we face as we sort of enter this next phase is, should I take a chunk of that money and should I turn it into a paycheck using an annuity that will last as long as I last? It's an insurance product, but if you've got longevity in your family, it's definitely something to think about. Well, I was just listening to something, just a, I think it was a podcast, but they said, for kids who are born after 2000, which is my daughter, that they could be looking at living 120 to 125 years. Yeah. I mean, it's ironic because in the last three years, life expectancies in the U.S. have actually gone down for the first time in a long time. A lot of that's COVID. But, but yeah, I pulled a cover of Time Magazine. I use it in my presentations from a few years ago where they put a baby on the cover and they said this baby could live to be 142 years old. That's a financial problem. I mean, it could be amazing, it could not be amazing, but it could be amazing, but only if you have the resources to live during those years a happy, healthy life. I, I know when we sat down with our financial advisor and he said, Christina, you know, we need to build out an extra 20 years for you. And I said, 20 years? I've <laughs> without him for 20 years, but that's the life expectancy, you know, on average is... That's kind of scary too, to have to plan that out. And for women, I mean, we outlive our spouses by about five to seven years, and we need to make sure that we're ready for that. At what age do you recommend starting with a financial planner? It's not an age. It's more of a, it's more of a stage. I think if you are at the point where you feel like you need a roadmap in order to hit your goals that's a good time to start with a financial advisor where you're looking for, am I saving enough? Am I investing it correctly? Do Are all the pieces falling into place? You don't necessarily have to hire somebody to manage your money. Financial advisors work under a whole bunch of different models these days, and many are perfectly fine if you pay them to develop a plan that you execute yourself, and then you go back every couple of years for a checkup. For a lot of people, that's how it works. When it comes to somebody who actually does manage your money and takes a percentage of your of your wealth for doing that, there are often minimums that you have to meet. And those minimums often dictate when you're ready and when you're not. I did get one really interesting question on Instagram. I asked, you know, you've covered a lot of it, but looking back on your life, is there a piece of advice you'd give to yourself that you didn't take when you were younger that you wish you had done? We talked about it already. I mean, I wish I had started a lot earlier. And I wish like you, I bought a house at 23. At 23, I was living in Brooklyn. I, everybody should have bought real estate when I was 23 in Brooklyn. We were talking about, I think the interest rates back then were one or 2%. You had those one-year arms. So you could do that back then. 
Well, that's great. Well, we end every episode with the same two questions. So what is your greatest accomplishment since you've turned 50? I think starting hermoney.com. Such an important resource. And and everyone can find hermoney.com and we can find you everywhere at Jean Chatsky. You can find me everywhere at Jean Chatsky. And if you go to hermoney.com, please sign up for our newsletters. They're free. We pump them out a couple times a week and they just take a look at what's happening in the world of money and put it in plain English so you can understand it. And that truly is your gift. You simplify money and investing. And that's why I've enjoyed following you and watching you. And you really do make it easy. And our last question, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I see myself still doing a version of what I'm doing today with a little bit more free time to travel, spend with my husband, maybe even grow a successful garden for the first time in my life. I love that. Jean Chatsky, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening or for watching this episode of Living Ageless and Bold. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit subscribe. And if you like the episode, I hope that you will give us a great review. You can also head over to livingagelessandbold.com and sign up for information, inspiration, and exclusive opportunities for us, women over 55. Thanks for listening. And remember, no matter what you do, keep living ageless and bold.